I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. Steve and Steve here this week. Unusually, we're recording this at the end of the working week, so we're trying to catch some of the earnings that came in uh, after we would normally have recorded. So, end of the working week, Steve, have you had a good Tuesday? <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd absolutely <laughs> love that. But yeah, uh, I've had a good week, I'll tell you that. Um, I think, sort of, today aside, uh, it's been a very, very green week after that um, that Fed meeting, which was completely priced in and apparently and completely, uh, what was it, 99.981% or something was was there was the expectation of a 0.25% hike and that's exactly what happened and then when it happened the markets went hooray up 4% or something it was it was a really mm-hmm. bonkers kind of day uh, I'd love to tell you Steve how I'm doing on the five day chat but at the moment um, Google Finance is telling me I'm up 281.27% and I'm pretty certain that's not accurate uh, I think it's probably a little bit less than that but I'm, I think I'm certainly up uh, I'm certainly up on both portfolios in fact my incinerator portfolio has gone from near 20% down and I think it was at one point uh, especially at some point in January to it's about flat now so uh, cool. it's sort of like it's funny you get the feeling to think maybe I should just sack this off and have the money <laughs> but who knows it might turn out really really good how about you Steve how's your week been? It's been all right. I'm back on the Gusto boxes for one week only anyway, and the stock market's going up. It's just like 2021 again, really, uh, in our house. So it's an interesting kind of five days. Uh, A lot of the stuff that I bought has done sort of fairly well this week. That's not to say it's always done that, but there's been a bunch of earnings reports that I guess we'll get to. The Fed meeting was interesting too. I was having a look at what had been coming out as a result of that. There's the usual kind of... What we've seen, I think, from the Fed meetings is relentless optimism from certain parts of the market and then and then kind of disappointment when that relentless and slightly ridiculous optimism doesn't come through. So the thought of, oh, they're going to they're gonna slow down now, they're going to slow down now, they're going to slow down now, repeatedly. And, and kind of up till now, they haven't really, and then everyone's been disappointed when they haven't. Uh, not that there was ever any indication that they would. Powell and the Fed, I think, are still talking a tough game, saying, we're, we're keeping going, we're, there's going to be more hikes. But I saw Morningstar were, were suggesting that there might not be. They're thinking that might be it, in which case, I guess from here, the next bit to play out is the potential recession thesis and we see how corporate earnings go in Qs 2 and 3. Well, this is a normal monetary environment now, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. 0.25 hikes are what you would expect in a normal monetary environment. Hikes, declines, as they sort of fiddle with the uh, interest rates to to get the most they can out of the economy for everybody. So this feels like we're back into uh, sort of sensible uh, territory. So, I mean, let's just see what happens. I, I saw the, the Bank of England have hiked again. They went for a 0.5, but they're already talking it down, saying by 2026 they expected to be, I think it was 3.25 off the top of my head as well. So that should see uh, some immediate jumps in short-term savings rates, and hopefully the mortgage rates should maybe temper themselves a little bit uh, uh, 
because <clears throat> obviously they, they were expecting that it would come down. But yeah, I think there was a largely uneventful Fed meeting. I saw the word transitory came out again, Steve. That was uh, <laughs> that was quite interesting to see to see that rear its head again, uh, which probably means there's danger ahead. But did you pick anything out of the Fed meeting that you thought was particularly uh, exciting for you? No, not really. I'm I'm interested to see what happens next. Whether slowing this brings about inflation again and the process begins again, or or whether this they managed to land this in the way that you were uh, kind of boldly predicting about a month ago. Now, when we had our start of year predictions, it looks on the better subject. now. Yeah, it mm. looks it looks so much better now than it did back then. I thought it was a bit sketchy back then, but I actually think we could be somewhere near. We could be. I'm interested to see, I guess, how GDP data comes out and whether whether a recession is coming. I don't have a feel that there's been one particularly, but I know that in the UK, when I was looking at the, most da- the data most recently, we'd been kind of spared from a down month by the World Cup, and that's not hmm. repeatable and it's not broadly spread and so on. So there may well be a kind of recession coming here. There might be something similar coming in the States, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> You're right there. <laughs> Sorry, you might have to edit that. <laughs> Let's just carry on. I think the cat just knocked a plate off the Oh, top. right, okay. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm sort of reasonably optimistic. The UK stock market looks reasonably optimistic too. Mm. And I'm now sat on what is some incredible to my mind looking gains in UK shares that I I kind of don't know what to do with. And I'm thinking about a little bit and stuff like Experian. But we'll see how we go with those as, as time goes on, I guess. Should we get to the earning stuff? Yeah, let's get to it. Cool. Where should we start, Steve? Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Alphabet, uh, and we'll do it um, the way the alphabet goes. I guess is probably the best way to do this. Um, okay. So I don't want to spend an awful lot of time on Google's report because I didn't think it was a particularly impressive report to me, and there wasn't an awful lot in there that we haven't already spoken about or told uh, or, or basically spoken about. Expecting was was coming from from Google. So um, given the conditions. I thought it was reasonably impressive that a company of this kind of size, uh, a company that relies on a lot of marketing, has stayed largely level in terms of its revenue. Um, but that was maybe my one sort of key point that I would take away from it. But I'll just give you a few of the stats, Steve. So <clears throat> revenue was at 1% uh, to $76 billion. This was a small miss on expectations of about $400 million. Uh, up margin actually declined to 24%, uh, and this delivered EPS of around a dollar and five, which was about 12% miss on expectations. So Google Cloud was a highlight. Uh, it generated about 7.3 billion of revenue, which was growing at about 32%. Uh, the margin was still negative, but it was actually minus 7%, which is the, uh, the smallest negative margin we've had. So they've been improving this quarter on quarter for the last six quarters, and we are now heading towards profitability with it. Um, Google guided for about 2.6 billion in restructuring costs in the upcoming quarter. This is going to be uh, headcount, I'm afraid, and uh, it sounds like there could be potentially some more to come. Uh, so just expect if you're doing any sort of forward figures to squash that operating income a little bit uh, in your next quarter. Uh, but other than that, Steve, there wasn't an awful lot in this report to really pick through. I think it was all known. Um, do you think this is open AI crushing the ad market, or is this just macroeconomics crushing the ad market i struggle to know what to make of open ai to be honest i still haven't got around to looking at chat gpt but a colleague of mine who works in economics has and he was trying to get it he was trying to test out what it can and can't do and he's a very good economist and 
a couple of things he noted out of it. One is that if you ask it to talk about economic stuff, it spits out a lot of contradictions. You might think that's par for the course with economics, but hmm. uh, that's not a good thing for your open AI um, thing. It also, interestingly, if you ask it uh, kind of academic-related questions, it just makes up references uh, and says, as you can read in whoever it was 2005 and stuff, and he had a look, and there's just no such paper or book ever. So that still has a way to go, and he was reasonably unimpressed by it. But I think it's more likely macroeconomics, to be honest. I was interested in some of the layoffs as well. I read in the Daily Telegraph that not just Google, to be fair, also Meta, also uh, Microsoft and, and some other places too, laying off staff they their analyst felt it would do to analyst journalist felt it would do two things um one was immediately drop all that money straight down to the bottom line the second was therefore buoy the stocks and and that's almost certainly false at least to start with as you point out there are restructuring costs here some of google's uh workers i read are getting paid around a year's salary as a severance mm. cost which is you know quite significant the restructuring thing and it does emphasize the importance of trying to get your kind of um hiring right the first time if you can because it's not just a case of get them in get them out again there are significant costs associated with that so i think that was i'm in two minds about what to think about google uh, and over hiring they have a reputation for being a pretty um comfortable place to work with stuff like free food and fitness classes and all the rest of it and whatever they are decompression pods that's the one so if you want some decompressing at the end of your long working week uh, you should be working at google that kind of thing makes me a little bit wary because I'm wary of uh, companies that are a bit loose with their spending, especially on employees and culture and that kind of thing. I'm slightly more encouraged that they've decided to sort of tighten things up a little bit. I think that's the case, isn't it? I think with with, with all companies, you want happy workers because happy workers will produce results for you. But Google seems to go a little bit too far. And I think there's uh, there's almost too many comfort. I mean, everybody must have watched those um, short videos on TikTok and, and uh, YouTube shorts and Instagram of the people just showing you the day in the life in a uh, in like a product manager at google and they literally seem to do nothing other than eat and like type an email and then you like think like god i wish like you could come and do a real job do you know what i mean you would see like, like mm. it's, it's totally not like that but i mean there's there's been the rumors that google sacked like 21 masseuse masseuse and uh i don't want to know i don't want to know if that's a thing i i, I if that <laughs> that just makes me sad but I did see that there was a um, there was an article in I think it was in City AM that the Google UK workers were having a bit of a rally. Uh, they were complaining about low pay, and I I had a quick look about uh, Google's average salary is three hundred thousand dollars. I know that is an average, but mm. three hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money. You would assume a business of that size with what is it one hundred and thirty thousand employees? It's even more than that, I think, isn't it? To have mm -hmm. an average of three hundred thousand, there's a lot of people under that salary and a lot of people over it as well. So. It worries me a little bit that the, some people have still sort of lost touch with reality and think that's not a that's not a lot of money. Um, Everyone I in think, this country is out on strike over pay, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but I think like the, even like the train drivers would look at the Google workers <laughs> and go like, "Get out of here!" Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not, <laughs> right. You're, you're taking the piss. Yeah, they, uh, it's a competition for the most kind of overmanned, over human resourced um, organization, I guess, between the trains and, and Google and, and maybe Meta and some other things as well. Tough time to be a developer, though, or uh, an engineer. I mean, it's not like if you get fired by Google, uh, everyone else is busy hiring to go and pick you up again.
The thing is, though, is that a lot of companies outsource their tech to other companies, don't they? Because they don't, they have not been able to attract the developer talent that they need to get things done. So this is why companies like Endeavor exist. So this might be a good thing, rather than you know the the big tech stuffing the ranks with all the best developers that some of these developers get out and and do things. I mm-hmm. mean, who would have thought a company like John Deere would be making like autonomous tractors? Do you know what I mean? You need a dev team to do that. Walmart are quite. Um, they're actually selling tech and SaaS now, uh, some of their mm-hmm. own uh, their own products. So, and it's great to see other companies do that. And they, these sectors shouldn't be dominated by Google and other industries get starved. So, I hope that some of you know this isn't just developers swapping developer jobs at big tech. I hope some of these filter down into the into the industrials and and uh, bring them up to speed. The stock is about. As you might expect from a fairly unremarkable report, it's down about a percent and a half as we're speaking at the moment. This is the day after the kind of earnings report. Um, nothing terribly to get excited about there. Bearing in mind, we've had a bit of a run this last week. Down a percent and a bit might have been might have been a real buying opportunity not so long ago, but this is only taking the, the very top off the uh, run we've just had. Yeah, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's been literally gone back to the price. Uh, it's you know, price is not seen since the day before, so uh, it's not <laughs> yeah. been a massive fall in uh, Alphabet's price. To be fair, going up as much as it did on that report is kind of a shock to me. I would have thought it would have given it all back because that was the kind of report it was. The guidance wasn't particularly strong either. Um, the, interesting to see that other bets was chugging along. Um, throwing out a decent amount mm. of growth and, and, and obviously Google Cloud, we, we like to see that going up um, and, and that margin, um, I suppose that's going up as well, even though we're still in negative um, negative figures. But I thought it was a, a thoroughly unremarkable report and uh, I think we should move on to Amazon. Yep, I was going to say we have plenty of interesting things to talk about as well as uninteresting Google. Uh, far away, what happened with Amazon? So Amazon's was, uh, this is Q4 and full year, so uh, I thought this was a much more interesting report. I think they're doing a little bit better than they've perhaps been given credit for. They're down about 5% off the back of this report, mm-hmm. and I think there was quite a lot to like in here. So I'll run down the uh, figures for you, Steve, and, and see what you think. Uh, net sales were up about 9%. This brings them to $149.2 billion. Uh, That's 13% growth in North America, and it's actually an 8% contraction in international markets. But if you took it on an FX uh, constant currency basis, it's actually plus 5%. Uh, advertising services grew 19% to $11.6 billion. Subscription services up 20% to $9.2 billion. This is your prime and what have you. AWS grew 20% to $21.4 billion. Um, coincidentally, if they spun off AWS today, it would be the 47th biggest US company by revenue alone. Uh, interesting little bits on the quarter. There was minus 4% on headcount. I think that's probably quite welcome. They were a little bit overstaffed. Net income came out about 300 million, uh, but this included a 2.3 billion loss in Rivian stock, as we've discussed, and, and we said it would do, uh, or probably over the last year. Full year though. Sales grew 9%, 514 billion. AWS grew 29% year on year. Uh, a net loss on the year of 2.7 billion, although again, 12.7 billion of this loss is Rivian. Uh, operating cash flow is up 1% on the year to 46.8 billion. I would argue this is Amazon's most important metric, the one you should probably keep your eye on. Um, so there's other bits in here, but I thought this report was largely fine. I think we've covered why earnings don't matter at uh, Amazon. Although the irony uh, in seeing people who tell you not to value Amazon on its PE, lamenting the fact that it only made 300 million in earnings on 149 billion in sales, was not lost on me last night. 
Um, Jesse was encouraged by the results, Steve, though. He said, when you factor in our investments in several other broad customer experiences, streaming, entertainment, healthcare, broadband, satellite broadband, etc., there are reasons to feel optimistic about what the future holds. And I think that's a pretty good way to sign off this report. I think that's exactly how I feel as well. How about you? I feel a bit similar to how I feel about Google here. I feel like this is the Google report, but with a lot more noise built into it. So revenue is up a bit, as you were saying. That net income number, as you point out, is very, very noisy from the Rivian stuff. So it's down from 14.3 billion to about 278 million, which is a terrific drop. When you think that last year was being buoyed by about 11.8 billion's worth of Rivian gain, and this is being sandbagged by 2.3 lots of Rivian loss, it's down about 10% overall, mm. uh, not accounting for that. I was watching Brian Feroldi's video on this earlier. He takes the, the Warren Buffett approach, and I, I think about the only time anyone can say that about Brian Feroldi, uh, of ignoring everything below operating income because anything else is, he thinks, just stock price movements. And I think he is right about this one, uh, mm. for what that's uh, got to do with anything. So, in general, I was pleased by the kind of growth on the services side of this. I think this is the first quarter and indeed the first year that services has become more of the revenue than products. So watching that crossover was quite interesting. When I think about Apple, which we're going to get to, most of their revenue comes through products and only a little bit of it by comparison comes through services that may shift over time. But um, seeing good growth on third-party services, subscriptions and ad services, that does encourage me quite a bit. Yeah, it was interesting to see that. I mean, even physical um, stores grew for Amazon. I think that's something they're mm. not particularly focusing on. That would be something I would expect to see them potentially try and get rid of at some point in the future. I don't think they they like this business a lot, but it still grew at 6%. Third-party seller services grew at 20%. Subscriptions at 13 Advertising on Amazon Advertising and Twitch grew at 19 AWS at 20 And their other grew at 76%. So this is all the satellite broadband, blah, 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 all that rolled into mm. it. So... Uh, it, it was a good report from Amazon. I think this is a people are forgetting this had a lot of growth over the pandemic. It essentially doubled in terms of revenue, and there is going to be some people who who fall away from this business and maybe don't spend as much, or or maybe you know cancel Amazon Prime or don't advertise on Amazon. This is all going to happen, especially as we've seen capital start to tighten up as well. You you, you would think a lot of uh, capital is going into sort of SaaS. The young, hungry SaaS businesses that are trying to disrupt a certain thing, and they're going to go straight into AWS and build their product when capital tightens and they don't get their cash. AWS doesn't get their cash, but it's still growing at 20% year on year. They were keen to remind us that they've, uh, the vast majority of servers are still in cupboards under the stairs at uh, most workplaces, and there's still plenty of... Um, plenty of growth ahead for cloud i mean we're seeing that we saw it in azure we're seeing it in google cloud we're seeing it in aws um aws people were saying oh well google cloud google cloud and azure are growing uh much faster well aws is much bigger so that's why bigger numbers are harder to improve by you know bigger percentages and, and that's all we're seeing here so again with amazon i thought it was a pretty decent report i think it's a shame that it's down five percent it's not down enough to make it an opportunity unfortunately um but did you have anything else on it steve there's a couple of things just to partly agree with your thing and partly to expand on one i'm never really sure what the whole foods business is for which is a good amount of the physical stores thing i mean 
I'm as pro selling overpriced grains to people as the next person is, right? And it sounds like a reasonable business model, but it doesn't have an obviously huge synergy to my mind with the rest of what's going on with the Amazon stuff. I get that it's sort of more retail and I get that there's kind of uh, fulfillment distribution possibilities here, but that, that seemed, I've never been quite convinced on that idea. Another one I'm not sure about and genuinely unsure here, that's not a sly way of saying I don't like it, is the adjusting for FX thing. I mean, I sort of feel like FX headwinds are a real thing. Uh, they made less money last quarter because the dollar didn't go their way. Um, that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I guess it's useful to get a read for how volume's going in, in various ways, and that gives you, I suppose, a trajectory if you think this is going to normalise over time. I think that's the case, isn't it? I think it's the same thing with your investments when people say, is it a good time to buy US stocks because of the effects? And the answer is, I don't know. So you've mm. really got to take these reports in the same kind of vein, haven't you? Is uh, Have Amazon lost money because uh, solely because of, uh, of FX? And is that does that mean next year is going to be better? I don't know. So uh, I think that was, that was the case. It was nice to see Jassy on the call. He seems to have dodged a few calls recently, um, which was a bit strange. Um, I kind of like to think he would want to be front and centre, if you know what I mean, and deliver these results. They've not been bad results, so I don't know why he's been shying away, but um, I thought it was pretty good. I think it takes a bit of heat off Jesse. What do you think? He's. I know a lot of people have said he could be in the hot seat, uh, and Bezos was, uh, the, you know, the hint that Bezos would want to come back. I'm not sure if I was Jeff Bezos, I'd want to come back. I think I'd be doing a, a lot of other things uh, other than coming back to work at Amazon, but do you think he's in the hot seat? Not really. I think if I was Bezos, I'd be doing nearly nothing. Uh, I think in the case of Jesse... He gets an interest in picking up an interesting situation. I think enough people are used to not looking at Amazon's earnings, particularly, and worrying about uh, how do I work this into a kind of cash flow model that makes sense because because it nearly never has. And, and trying to piece this together has always been a fairly complicated project. You can come to whatever conclusion you like about that, but I think the thought that clearly net income has fallen through the floor, I think that does quite a bit of blurring of what's going on at the net income level, which is which is kind of handy for Jesse, but I think that creates too much confusion for anyone to really be particularly militant about anything. What would an activist like a, a Nelson Peltz try and do? I mean, not him specifically, probably try this idea of spinning out AWS that everyone seems to talk about quite a bit. Um, I, I'm not convinced anyone's going to make any progress on that. You don't want them to do it really at the moment either, though, because it is, it is really helping... Uh, everything else at Amazon grow at the kind of pace that it needs to. So uh, mm. AWS, I think, eventually will be a very good spin-out. But at the moment, I think I'd be uh, keen to just keep it where it is. If it does spin out, I'd be very interested in holding it. Um, but uh, at the moment, we will uh, we'll just have to see, I guess. I, I, I don't think it's an immediate concern. I mean, we're never too far away from an antitrust problem, are we? So, and that is one of the things that might help Amazon if they if they were to spin out AWS. Perhaps that would help them start to make some acquisitions, you know, because they're, they're not as big a business. But uh, I I don't know on that. I'm I'm not interested in it at the moment. I also think it might help them for antitrust purposes if people lazily look at their earnings per share and think, ah, there's not a problem there. They're barely making any money. Who the hell cares? Yeah, that's it. That's what we want Lena Khan to look at, isn't it? We want her to look at the bottom yep. line and say, oh, these guys are crap. No, we don't need to worry about them. Let's just let them buy whoever they want. Buy Walmart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, let's push on, shall we? Apple. Um, yeah, okay. I've got some uh, Apple figures if you want me to go through them. Sure, go for it. Sure. So I've only got some quick ones. I, I, again, mm -hmm. this wasn't a particularly exciting report. I think a lot of this can all come down to one excuse, which I'll deliver at the end. I'll let you deliver. Uh, but uh, I got a revenue decline of about 5%. Uh, I saw that the services grew at about 6%. Uh, products themselves fell 8%. 
Uh, op margin of 31%, op cash margin of 29%. A small EPS miss delivering uh, $1.88. Um, the big problem here was max sales, by the looks of it. Max sales were down 29% year on year, so $7.7 billion, uh, delivered. I think it was 9 point something. Um, but iPad grew 30%. Uh, wearables dropped 8%. Services up 6%. Like I said, iPhone was down 8%. Um, so that led to products being down 8%. I think the, the vast majority of the problems here were pretty much the China being locked down in November or the China problems with the supply chain. And uh, maybe a little bit of growth pulled forward. Was there anything in there that really jumped out at you? I heard one thing being said that the reason for the decline in MacBook sales or Mac sales across the, uh, the product range is that they're basically just behind. They haven't released one lately, which is why no one's bought the newest Mac because it didn't come out in time for that quarter to make a difference to it the iphone slipping back is never helpful um services reach record uh revenues for them which is still um as you point out 21 billion out of 117 so it's still around it's just under a fifth closer to a sixth or so of overall revenue so there's still i want to say room to run on that that doesn't automatically make that bigger but I was reading some of the headlines about this when I was trying to gauge reactions to it, and I read Apple stock gets nailed. Apple stock took a hit, as Tim Cook said, two words that terrified people. They were macroeconomic weakness, uh, apparently. Apple has been nailed to the tune of up 3% today. Uh, so um, it, it's not been a desire. Well, it slid around a bit during the earnings call, yeah. but um, it feels like to me there might be some, some headlines that are not there by the time this podcast comes out. True. Yeah, so I actually found a really good uh, Twitter follow, which I'm going to recommend to everybody. It's called the, uh, the account's called The Transcript. Uh, mm -hmm. And basically what they do is they go through the earnings call and they pull out and put it in a really nice format the uh, the important bits of the call. And I've used The Transcript today, so there's your little plug to uh, pull this bit out, which I thought was quite interesting from the call. I'm going to read it. Uh, it's for bit, and this is from Tim Cook. So, let me discuss the three factors that impacted our revenue performance during the quarter. The first was foreign exchange headwinds, which had nearly an 800 basis point impact. On a constant currency basis, we grew year over year and would have grown in the vast majority of the markets that we track. The second factor, which we described in the November 6 update, was COVID-19 related challenges, which significantly impacted the supply of the iPhone 14 Pro, the iPhone 14 Pro Max, and lasted throughout most of December. Because of these constraints, we had significantly less iPhone 14 Pro and iPhone 14 Pro Max supply than we planned, causing ship times to extend far beyond what we had anticipated. Production is now back where we want it to be. The third factor was a challenging macroeconomic environment as the world continues to face unprecedented circumstances from inflation to war in Eastern Europe to the enduring impacts of the pandemic. And we know that Apple is not immune to it. So Apple has kind of come out of this pretty well. So to me, it looks like it's pretty immune to it. I mean, you're talking about all these things going on. You're only declining 6% of a company of this kind of size when you're saying you barely had any supply in, in, uh, in well, one or potentially one and a half of the months. I think you look like you're pretty immune to it to me. Here's the thing I haven't yet looked at from Apple. I mean, this is a stock that's clearly done very well. And in fairness, it's not just a stock that's done very well. It's a business that's done very well over the last however many years it's been. One thing, and I am an Apple shareholder, that causes me to... Here's the big disadvantage I think they have over the other tech companies, the the Googles and the Metas. And I think those have disadvantages versus Apple too. But the big disadvantage I see for them is that their buyback pace is going to have to start slowing down quite significantly. So they made the move to try and accelerate their share buybacks to 
um, get rid of the excess cash on their balance sheet. I figured that was the right use for it. Buying back stock. Okay. Um, rightly, wrongly, that's what they were doing with it. That excess cash is running down quite quickly at the moment. So they're going to get to the stage where I don't doubt they will keep buying back shares, but the pace of buybacks is going to slow. And I think that will be something of a growth headwind for this company going forwards. Their EPS has gone ballistic as a result of all these kind of uh, buybacks, even down 10%. They're still very, very impressive. Uh, down 10% in the quarter, sorry. They're still very, very impressive. That's the thing as an Apple shareholder that makes me wonder, how are we going to look in five years, 10 years? I'm sure the answer is pretty good, but I think we probably won't have the same momentum, not that we invest for momentum in a stock particularly, uh, that we've been having up till this point. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think it's well positioned, Apple. I think it's done fairly well. I think I like the idea that it's now moving its production not just out of China, but it's just diversifying its mm. production a little bit. I think that's a really, really solid move. Um, I've been quite impressed with the um, M2 chip that's in this Mac that I'm using at the moment as well. As I was saying to you last week, it's it's very impressive the silicon that they're they're producing at the moment. So I think that's a um, that's a really really positive sign for them. That perhaps one that they could explore a little bit more as well. I, not that I think that they would ever be interested in selling the chips to anybody else, but just to see what else they could get it into. Um, what that is, and of course we've got the Apple Car uh, that can only ever be around the corner, can't it? And Apple VR that's probably only around the corner as well. So um, I thought this was a again. I, I think I'm going to at the risk of repeating myself. This was quite an unremarkable um, kind of report. I think this was sort of much of a muchness. It all hinged on how we thought the uh, you know the Mac and the the iPhone product had actually done. Um, that was the only thing that we were really guessing at. It the rest of it is just Apple being Apple. I think. Yeah, pretty much. I think they do well to hang in there in this kind of situation. I feel like I'm with these kind of companies that have reasonable expectations built into them. Apple isn't isn't terribly cheap. Has never really been hit sort of the way that some of the others have. I mean, we were talking about um, Amazon and, and Google, and we will talk about Meta, and those have all gone up significantly-ish over the last week, uh, even giving some of it back over the last day. But that still puts them a very long way from where they were sort of a year ago. They're still quite significantly down. Apple never really got clobbered by that. They uh, they got treated differently by the market for whatever reason. Um, and and they yeah, I, I, I sort of make feel like that makes them vulnerable to to bad news or their turn to have the bad news in a way that the others maybe sort of have a bit of it built in at the moment. Yeah, and it's not materialised today, has it? Because you would have thought this is probably their bad news. So I, I know that when the report came out, immediately they dropped about 3 or 4%, or maybe 2 or 3%. But then it, it was soon back at only 1% uh, red, and then I got a message maybe 10 or 15 minutes later that it actually already gone green, and then that's what it's continued mm -hmm. to today. I mean, this isn't the sort of report that you would see a 3 or 4%... Uh, increase in the uh, in in the stock price, and also the guidance wasn't that great either. Uh, the guidance was was fairly flat, so it's um it's a strange one for me. This I, I feel like um, it feels like a new bull market, doesn't it? In a strange way, it feels like you remember when bad reports were coming out and stocks were going up anyway. Uh, that, that kind of yeah. felt what this felt like in twenty twenty one. Which is like, haven't we learned our lessons with like you know results that aren't that good? They're supposed to go down. Uh, I wonder what the market's seeing because there wasn't anything in there for me that I thought, oh, I, you know, I'll bid this up. This this is something I need to buy right now. No, this is Apple's first miss in quite a while. They're quite mm. good at, at playing that game for what that's worth, as well as various other games they're pretty good at playing too. We've been wary about calling new bull markets 
before um, because we've had plenty false dawns on this. And I'm not convinced this isn't another one particularly. But I think when I when I look at this at the moment, it's quite interesting watching how these are faring because big companies like like Amazon, uh, you know, still huge market cap on Amazon, still huge market cap on Meta, which we'll get to. They're not supposed to move around like that much. That is quite a lot of money entering and leaving these stocks one way or another and i get that institutions have quite a lot of money but but shifting uh apple must be still close-ish to two trillion probably through that um by three percent five percent and so on is quite a lot of money to be moving around at any given moment yeah and, and if you thought we were going back to the you know the 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 years of the steady 10 percent, somewhat have you every year and looking for the steady 10 percent, unfortunately we've been wrong so far haven't we i think the market's mm. probably up 10 percent just in january so um it's been a fairly uh odd bunch of moves. i mean the last this week has been nuts this felt like 2021 2020 stupidity when when you know there was just so much liquidity in the market and every you couldn't you couldn't lose this week really i think everything apart from uh the farmer big big farmer seems to have fallen down this week and uh, you know i wouldn't have it as being necessarily inversely correlated to the market but it, it seems to have slipped back a little bit but have you seen i mean we were talking just off firstly but is there any opportunities to buy any of these at the moment do you think do you think it, would you buy any of these kind of rates Probably not at the moment, to be honest. I feel like I sort of want to buy Google here, but I don't think I can quite bring myself to do it just yet. And that's, it's not because I think there's anything else that's really jumping out at me particularly. Big Pharma, for what it's worth, I think has been acting as a fairly safe haven. It's a low, it tends to be low PE stuff because it's very hard to move a, a market cap like Merck's or something. And it tends to be fairly acyclical because people get, stick during bull markets and during bear markets and that's not funny particularly but it's it happens and that's demand for drugs stays fairly steady yeah that that is true i think one of the things that is probably worth noting is that if these if maybe just last quarter these results had come out these stocks would have probably fallen 15 or 20 percent and they did to be fair to them that that did happen mm. in the last quarter they, <coughs> their prices collapsed on uh, on on fairly uh, average results so it is interesting to see just how sentiment has changed how these have been received but uh i did see on twitter there was a few people saying things like that the you know this was the end of growth for big tech and things like that and i think that's a little bit dramatic at the moment i don't think we're there yet i think we're uh we're just probably seeing like a little bit of consolidation from that growth pulled forward. I think there are still people buying these products, but there are also people not buying these products that were before. And I think we just have to wait for those not buyers to become buyers again, and we'll be off to steady growth with, with all of these companies, I think. Yes, I suppose it depends on exactly which big tech you're looking at. Should we talk about Intel? Yeah, let's. Or do you, you not count stats? that as big tech anymore? No. Okay, let's talk about some mid-range tech then in that case. Uh, so I do have the stats for Intel. Intel, or if the FTSE 100 was a tech stock. Right, so they reported their earnings and they reported revenue of $14 billion, which was down 32%. They reported an EPS loss of $0.16, cents, which for a company that was not so long ago basically a, a fairly steady cash-building thing uh, is quite the result. They forecast a bigger loss for the next quarter of $0.80, cents, um, and their dividend continues for the moment. Uh, breaking that down just a little bit, PC revenue was down 36%, data center was down uh, 33%, uh, 
Um, network revenue was down 1%. Profits went through the floor on all of these. PC went down 82%. Data center down 84%. Network stuff down 84%. Um, one thing went up, though, I saw of a segment of theirs uh, that was up 59% on revenue and 71% on earnings. Any idea what that was, Steve? No, go on. It was Mobileye, which they've mostly got rid of now. No, oh, that was great. Mm. <laughs> and- yep. Anything else in there that jumped out at you? Well, they're keeping their dividend, and I saw this in Sven's video, uh, who has now turned his his face away from Intel for the moment, but they are planning on slowing down their depreciation costs for their accountancy next year. That means that their profit numbers will be higher than they would otherwise have been. They've decided that their equipment has a longer life, basically, than they thought it had before, so there will be lower depreciation charges than they were expecting on their Q1 next year stuff. Um... That I'm not sure about that I think is a good idea. If I were Intel, I would want to be depreciating this stuff as fast as I possibly can and not paying any tax. But um, I have a quote for you, which is it feels like they're cleaning out a lot of the bad news, uh, which was from a guy called Matt Bryson, who wed- Wedbush Securities, except he said that in July. Uh, this has been going for a little while now for Intel. They've had about three quarters of thinking, OK, this is the bottom. They did talk a good game in terms of a growth story of getting back to leadership by 2025, 26. I think the kind of person who owns Intel shares um, owns them largely because they have a dividend that currently yields five or so percent. I'm not optimistic for people with that uh, idea. They talked about getting to what they consider a competitive dividend i'm not quite sure what that means but i think the average dividend yield in this sector is about is just under two percent so i would expect that dividend to get cut in the next couple of quarters but you never know um i think they have probably have the wrong type of shareholder to be honest what they need is someone who's minded towards waiting around two years while nothing happens apart from the stock goes wherever it goes mostly due to market factors but occasionally due to them reporting yet another loss uh, and then they have a massive manufacturing business and you can make of that what you will but i think what they have is a bunch of people who want um whatever it is per share every quarter and that's not a good fit i think yeah and i mean on the dividend you can see why uh, investors often get referred to as parasites by people on the left of sort of politics can't you because mm-hmm. um basically the intel ceo has cut pay uh, across the board of uh, of its uh, of its employees whilst committing to paying uh, a dividend which they've coincidentally taken on debt uh, whether you think that's to pay the dividend or not they're still paying it and it's probably going to come from that debt so uh, that's kind of uh that's not a good thing. You don't want to see that. that. This dividend should have gone. You know, Steve and I were saying it should have gone a long time ago. They had a huge CapEx program coming along. This, The minute this CapEx program reared its head, and, and it should have reared its head two or three years ago, um, but even two or three quarters ago when... when um, you know when gelsinger really um committed to it this this dividend should have gone uh, and all of that money should have gone into that and and the people who stick around holding on to intel will reap the rewards of that you know that them spending that capex and not ruining the balance sheet uh in the process of doing it so i pulled a quote from the um from the earnings report where um, Gelsinger said, we continue to make good progress on our strategic transformation in Q4, including advancing our product roadmap, improving our operational structure and processes to drive efficiencies while delivering at the low end of our guided range. And you just think to yourself, that was a load of rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't guide for it to be that bad. 
it was awful and there was nothing really good in that report uh, whatsoever and then made worse by the fact that amd came out and said well it's not so bad for us you know amd's results were fairly good i thought i went through amd and i thought well why aren't amd having all of the problems that intel are having and, it, and it's because amd uh it, sorry um intel are just are just really 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 badly executing at the moment and um yeah, I just, I didn't know what to make of it really, because a, a couple of years ago, three years ago, Steve, we, we were quite optimistic about this transformation. Uh, we, we thought that this might actually be a decent idea for, for Intel to get into this kind of thing. It was a shame because they were going to destroy some margins, but they've, they've been so far behind on chips and continue to be so far behind on chips for the longest time that making a moving to, uh, especially that the, uh, a move that the American government wants to pretty much fund, uh, was probably a decent idea, but they've just, They've just made such a mess of it. Um, would you be holding this stock today, Steve? Are you going to buy it today? I am not going to buy it today. I wonder when the bottom is in for Intel. Here is why I've got, I'm not going to buy this stock today. Um, three reasons. One is they do the wrong stuff, in my view. I am opposed to them paying a dividend and taking on debt to fund it. I think they should have lost this dividend quite a long while ago while they were busy losing their lead to AMD while chucking out dividends and doing buybacks. Uh, that's a view that goes back quite a long way. The second is that this all looks very impressionistic to me. It's going to be a long way into the future before they regain their leadership. Um, and I struggle to see how that thesis stays on track and in a meaningful way that I can uh, evaluate. Gelsinger will tell me it's going well. And he may be telling the truth, by the way. I don't have anything bad to say about him at all. I am firmly in the camp that says... He's still clearing up the mess he inherited. Uh, Sven said there's very much two schools of thought on this, partly that Gelsing has inherited a mess and hasn't had a chance to turn it round yet because it's a big tank to try and turn round, um, and another school of thought that says he needs to be getting on with this faster. I'm not in that second category at all. I think he's very much got a challenge on his hands, and he needs time to do that. So I don't see his seat as at all hot uh, on the theme that we were discussing with Jassy. Third is I don't really think I rate the product when it comes out. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure I like the manufacturing business. It's going from a high-margin, low-capital-intensity business to one that's the opposite way around. I can sort of see there's a return there, and clearly Taiwan Semi is a very good business. It does quite good like that. I suspect there is room for more uh, manufacturing there than just them, and it doesn't necessarily come down to having to fight each other for it. They did say they had a lead in something, uh, though, which we can come back to in a moment, but um, you're not buying it, I assume. No, I'm not, and I'm, I was just thinking then as you were talking to him, I wonder what odds we would have got maybe six months ago of saying that Peloton would look like a better turnaround story than Intel uh, in six months' time, because uh, I was looking at uh, Peloton's report only the other day and, and realised that they've actually, Barry McCarthy there has done a pretty decent job with that Peloton business. He's actually got the subscription revenue is now way higher than the bikes themselves, so... Uh, very, very interesting. Still not managing to make any money on a $1,500 bike, which seems to be one of the strangest things in the world. I'm, I'm sure, give me 20 minutes, I could find somebody who can make an exercise bike cheaper than that with an iPad on it. I mean, uh, <laughs> I could find you a... I put some wheels on your clothes era. You know what I mean? I'm sure I can make it cheaper than this. But yeah, yeah. interesting interesting to see that, really. I, I, I'm, shocked. I, I'm shocked. I was shocked when that Intel report came out and I read through it and I thought, there's nothing in here. There's nothing... You know, there's nothing really to like. And, and, and then when they said, well, we're still going to pay that dividend, you think, well, you're idiots. You know, there's just, 
there's just no reason to pay that dividend. I, I can't imagine there's any investor out there right now who thinks that. I mean, I did see that some uh, somebody on Twitter was excited that they were keeping the dividend, but I thought this is this is kind of like you know, like vampires taking the last bit of blood out of the body, isn't it? Before um, you know, w- without giving it a chance to develop some more blood for you to take, and and that's how I very much feel about Intel at the moment. Yeah, and dividend that- investors. It's a pity Paul's not here, isn't it, to discuss this with, because I strongly suspect he thinks Intel shouldn't be paying a dividend either, but I think he and I and you, maybe on the other side, would disagree on exactly the point that they should have stopped paying this dividend. He thinks the point of companies like this is to return capital to shareholders, and I think I probably think they weren't really in a position to do that a lot longer ago than he does. But alas, Paul is not here. Never mind. Um on the last thought with Intel, they do have one advantage, though, going forward that I can see. They've managed to get their hands on an ASML gadget thing uh, before Taiwan Semi has. And that, I think, they believe is going to give them an, uh, an edge when it comes to manufacturing, because those ASML things are pretty fancy. Yeah, I did see that. I, ho- I saw the story last year that they'd paid to jump the queue on the mm. INA um, EUV yep. machine, which is the, the latest machine. But as far as I, I'm aware, ASML aren't really ready to release it either. So um, Intel, uh, well, and, and it's a good idea for companies in production to get the mittens on something that's um, still still working progress. Because if you ever look into how semiconductors are etched, basically you put a B in and it makes an F. It's as crazy as it's as crazy as that. So you basically you have to spend all of your time figuring out because it's going through so many mirrors. You have to a lot of trial and error involved in actually uh, getting the patterns that you need. So uh, I think this is a good move for them. But you know the, these things, as far as I'm aware, Mason, are not yielding anything yet. So this is nothing more than them. Uh, getting their hands on something a little bit early but i think uh it's not a bad sign i just i just worry about they're the rest signing of the business up, they're signing up customers for their uh, foundry they've got aws signed up as a customer they've got qualcomm signed up as a customer that's encouraging stuff they plan to catch taiwan semi by 2025 i i'm i have a i give this a 10 percent chance that their plan is to just keeping keep taking debt until 2025 to pay a dividend and then and then hopefully try and pay all of that back down and then keep paying a dividend that they really shouldn't be paying because they still need to innovate and they still need to that would feel to me a lot like not learning i mean if ever there was an example of not learning lessons right yeah and i mean we're we're seeing that aren't we we are seeing that and i think that might be one of their issues you need to finally get back on on level footing and they start i mean what would be really ironic is if they started issuing shares i mean that would that would kill me inside if they cut the dividend and start issuing shares i think i'd i think i'd i think i'd laugh my bollocks off to be honest but um start issuing shares in the 20s yeah yeah uh, yeah. quite recently yeah i think i don't know i just i mean i'd be interested to hear what other people thought so if if you hold intel what are you thinking Uh, pop it in the comment section what what are we missing um was it a shock to you when you saw this report i mean to me i I was genuinely shocked i was just so glad i wasn't holding on to it Mm. here's one i was glad i was holding on to when i when i saw the report uh meta that stock went up around 25 percent after its earnings report and its earnings report was on the face of it not incredible looking but um i think this is an endlessly fascinating i find meta an endlessly fascinating company i found it fascinating when i didn't own it i find it fascinating when i did own it um but i i think this is one where and i've seen a lot of people change their mind on this 
quite frequently, but here's the numbers to start us off with. Revenue is down 4% at 31 and a quarter billion. Earnings per share were down around 52% at a dollar 76. Uh, the family of apps brought in 34 billion in revenue. Uh, Reality Labs keeps losing money. Um, CapEx was up by 66% compared to the year before. The number of people on platforms, whether you count them daily, monthly, on Facebook or across the family of apps, was all up, up a bit, but up. They have quite a lot of people there now. They have mm. like half of the registered world, so it's hard to grow people at much of a rate when you're that size, but they are growing them a little bit. And they've announced a $40 billion buyback. There was a lot of noise about AI and cloud infrastructure and improving efficiency, which was a big thing. Um, Steve, do you have any thoughts on any of these? I, to be fair, I didn't think this was a terrible report. I thought um, they were probably in a in the worst position going into uh, sort of an ad economy slowdown because they also got hit with the you know with the Apple privacy bill as well, which means they had to basically reinvent themselves to uh, mm -hmm. to to get back in. So it was nice to see that you know they, they've they've done that. I noted on the call that um, I think it was Zuckerberg mentioned that the the AI. Um, ad engine is making better and better decisions and they're actually quite happy with where it is at the moment which is obviously showing because the advertising spend is is still there uh, it was strange to see reality labs on the run-up to christmas having uh, a 17 percent drop in year-on-year -year revenue i thought that was quite shocking i thought that would be you expect after seeing them spend about 10 billion on r&d in the quarter to see reality labs exploding you know they're they're almost subsidizing adoption here and it doesn't seem to be mm. doesn't seem to be happening the other thing that's quite funny is uh, and i'll put a sanky diagram on screen uh, that i found is that they actually have payments infrastructure steve that grew 20 percent year in year i don't know if you spotted that uh, that's now up to 200 million um so yeah quite interesting to see that i'm sure that's like stickers and stuff on facebook i can't think for the life of me what this actually is no, nor can I, but I heard a, a whisper this might eventually be a way of trying to monetize WhatsApp and building stuff into there. So WeChat, the kind of Chinese version of WhatsApp, because it is, at least when I saw it anyway, strikingly similar, is basically the way the Chinese pay for everything. Uh, and there's... They do everything. Uh, yeah, uh, including, uh, well, including paying for stuff. But yeah, you're right. That is basically where they kind of run their lives from. And it's been a striking thought for a lot of people that, whatsapp really ought to be better i mean it ought to be kind of monetized it ought to do more than it does and it's clearly possible unlike the metaverse which is not to my mind clearly possible it strikes me as a much more speculative project it was interesting that there was a big push so as i understood it the sentiment coming into this you and i were on jkr investing's channel uh, around the start of the year talking about meta and i think i said something like look it has a load of cash on its balance sheet but if your plan is to light that cash on fire it might as well not be there um, and then uh, the general thought was that, well, look, it could really do with not just burning all of its cash. It could do with being a bit more efficient, keeping an eye on its bottom line and, and reining things in a little bit. And by that, most people meant shutter the Reality Labs thing or at least slow down throwing money into the Reality Labs thing or at least slow down the CapEx in general. And Zuckerberg called this 2023 the year of, of efficiency for meta and it doesn't look sort of terrifically efficient but people appear to seize on that good news quite a bit there's a big buyback coming which is kind of useful the numbers that came out were interesting to me because i feel like you can read these either one of two ways here so the revenue numbers and the operating income numbers are generally significantly lower than they were a year ago 
and they're significantly higher than they were two years ago. So there might be an argument here that says, look, they've been lapping tough comps, um, uh, pandemic-related tough comps from high ad spending, high... Uh, and we were surprised when we looked at Google and Facebook and so on as we were coming out of the pandemic in particular. Th these were really pushing on, and when companies aren't worried about their survival, they tend to spend more on ads. So the kind of kind way to look about at this, and I'm not saying it's wrong way, just the kind way and the optimistic way is to say, well, look, they've been lapping tough comps and they're actually making reasonable progress if you go back two years. The, I guess, less charitable way to look at this is to say, look, they're going down. Um, I would probably view this positively. I would tend to view this in the tough comps category. Um, the CapEx stuff being up means that they will come round in a year's time for probably quite easy comps. So I would expect margins to improve a bit as as that kind of comes around to comparing to itself in a high number a year ago. Um, I think this is very much one that you can look at and genuinely see this either way around, uh, depending maybe on what kind of investor you are and how much you hate this product. Yeah, I, I, I agree, I think. Um, I was just thinking the 40 billion of buybacks, they've got 40 billion of cash on the balance sheet. So uh, Meta's plan here is obviously to generate free cash again and use some of that to sort of fund the buybacks. At least you would hope that's the case and they're not going to take out more debt. But I wouldn't mm. say that's completely out of the question. Um, I saw Tim Byers on the yes, Motley Fool. Yeah, mm. and Chris from... Um, from growth to value, uh, Substack. He both they both pointed out that buybacks aren't exactly met a strong point, and they um, they depending on what sort of um, distance you look back, the price ranges was from two hundred and forty dollars to three hundred and thirty five dollars is the average price that Meta has bought back at. Uh, I think that's quite short term history, to be honest. Uh, I was looking back through um, examples of companies that were judged on their short term buybacks. I came across Teradyne. In the 70s, uh, Teradyne bought back a load of stock. And for a, deco a decade, well, nearly 15 years, it looked like they had bought back this stock at a very, very ex um, expensive price. And they were ridiculed for it, basically. They were saying they had, you know, um, poorly employed capital. Um, they're 12x from that price, Steve. And mm. to be honest with you, buying back stock now looks uh, great. I know hindsight is wonderful, and that's essentially what we're saying here. But you can't look at short-term things like this because... You know, Meta could quite easily be, you know, $350 again in the future. It's too early to tell. Um, it was up about 20% on the news, Steve. Was you surprised by that? Because it's not a 20% report, I didn't think. No, I didn't think it was a 20% report at all. Uh, and I can't work out quite why it's that high. And my overwhelming feeling is that this is no longer an easy buy. I was sort of fairly lazily dropping money into this, and I had been for a while, and I was well in the red on that, and I'm not anymore. Um, but I'd been thinking of this as something that could be bought fairly straightforwardly, but all the stuff looking forward is much more speculative and much more uncertain to my mind. Mm. It's about cloud infrastructure, it's about AI, it's about that kind of thing, it's about reality labs to a degree, that strikes me as far more speculative and far more outside my circle of competence, which makes this much, much, much harder for me to try and buy here when i look at what's now kind of priced in on the buyback thing i think i wonder whether buybacks are a bit more complicated than most commentators give it credit for including i guess us until quite recently so i was thinking about the chevron buyback again uh, we talked last week about them having attempting to buy back about 20 percent of their stock based on where their market cap was and all of us felt that well look it's the top of the cycle that's 
Um, well, probably the top of the cycle. Hard to say with oil prices, but look, the stock looks quite high at the moment. But if they've got the cash to buy back 20% of their shares, or they're going to find the cash to buy back 20% of their shares, that means they're trading at about five times that cash. And that's not that expensive for a stock. And and perfectly legitimately, we might complain, well, look, they could have bought back more of it if they'd bought it back during the pandemic or something when oil was at minus 45 a barrel and their stock was in the bin. But they didn't have the damn cash back then. Uh, And it, it just wasn't an option for them. And if the idea is that we're supposed to sit there with 20% of our current market cap in in cash pretty much and then wait for the shares to go back down until they're trading at what one and a half times the cash that we have on hand I'm just not sure that stock's going there and the same goes for kind of meta I think look companies have to kind of buy back stock when they have the cash to do it and if they have enough cash and they can buy back enough of their stock meta i think was about 11 percent uh not sort of 20 percent uh, the value of that buyback based on their price before the big uh run-up it will be less now but i kind of think there's a sense in which buybacks aren't just a nice case of looking at the stock going down and thinking well let's use some of this extra cash then and just fire it all unless you're even unless you buff it to an extent yeah, you've got to think the uh, your your example though is, is almost exactly what MVR do, don't they? They just sit on hmm. their cash, wait, 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 and then buy back when it happens. The thing is, is that if Chevron waited until another sort of pandemic level, um, you know, event happened, they'd end up taking themselves private. So, um, yeah, I think you've got to. Uh, I think it's. I don't know. I think I find it somewhat hypocritical though, when people sit there and say, "Well, you shouldn't be buying back. You shouldn't be buying back when," you know. I think sentiment has changed and sentiment the only reason sentiment has changed is because of stock price when the price was at 250 240 dollars and and meta was doing quite well nobody was complaining about the buybacks everybody was saying you know meta's super cheap and they should be buying back the stock and now the the price has gone down to whatever it is now it's like why you should have been you should have been saving your money and buying it back and you think they're just they're just a bunch of hypocrites <laughs> so they've, you've, they've done exactly what you wanted of them and i think that tends to be the case um the one buyback that i don't think should be happening and i don't know whether you saw that was bill.com bill.com is trading no, i thought you were about... about to tell me that intel were doing a buyback again <laughs> no god no uh, bill.com are trading about t- uh, 12 times revenue and i don't think they make any money whatsoever um they've uh, they've uh, guided for revenue to be down 17 percent and then said they were going to do a 300 million um dollar buyback and you think god this is this sounds real stupid to me, but you know, this might be their Teradyne moment in twelve years' time. They might make me look really silly. I think Guidewire are also doing buybacks, uh, which is a company that is currently gap losing. Uh, they report in about thirty days. Their forecast to still be gap losing pretty much all of this year, but they have extra cash around and they are desperate to go and use it to buy back their stock. And I think it's kind of cheap at the moment, but they're they're another one who are. Maybe just getting ahead of themselves a little bit. And and could you not think of anything else to do with that cash? I'm not sure. I mean, they're, they're quite small for acquiring or anything like that. So well, we've um, got I Unity we'll as well. Yeah, mm. Unity have just finished that Iron Source merger and they said on merger completion they'd be doing some buybacks as well. And you just think to yourself, I'd sooner you'd be doing something better with that money. You know, it's a very competitive industry. That is the game engine market and you don't want to fall behind. And you know, wasting a few hundred million when you don't make money anyway on buybacks seems like a really stupid idea to me. 
Mm. Yeah, so the big rally in meta, just to finish that one off, makes me no longer think this is quite such an obvious buy anymore. If I thought there was another obvious buy somewhere else, I'd probably sell it, to be honest, but I don't actually know quite what I would do with the money at the moment, and and it's not at a stage where I think it's a really obvious sell either, because it's got massively overpriced. They're still way, way off where they were a year ago, or a bit more than that, so... I sort of think with these results, you can very much reinforce whatever your previous biases were on this, or or informed opinions, if you don't want to call them biases for the time being. But if you thought this was a company that's going downwards, I think you'll probably continue to see that and and burning cash all over the place. And if you thought this was a company that is getting ready to turn itself around, that's that's maybe a bit strong, or or getting ready to uh, move itself towards efficiency and start listening to the market a little bit then I think there's probably evidence of that as well. And I guess most people are, are seeing that quite positively. Yeah, for me, this was just Zuckerberg throwing a smoke bomb in the room and saying, uh, you can't see it, but I'm definitely doing things differently. Uh, and I just don't think he's actually going to do that. I think uh, this is just going to continue down the same path. I think he's hell-bent on um, Reality Labs becoming the thing now. And that will be uh, either his greatest achievement or his undoing. Now, I, I can't see uh, another... Uh, another scenario for that if he if he was to cut it now i think he would quit at the top of meta if he was to cut reality labs i think he's not interested in meta anymore i don't think as a uh you know just to run that i think he's he he's i almost imagine he sort of comes out the meta quest room and says what's happened this quarter what do i need to say you know because i think he's (laughs) that that sort of detached from it all um so yeah i I, it's not it's never been a buy for me anyway steve because you know i don't like the product and i just can't i just can't buy Mm. things i don't like the product of so uh but i thought it was a you know no worse report than anybody else's so it's strange to see stocks dropping five percent up four percent up twenty percent when all of these reports are much of a muchness to me um Anything you want to add, Steve, before we wrap up? Uh, not really, I don't think. Uh, Reality Labs is forecast to widen its losses over 2023, so that's uh, realistically that's going to just keep happening, I think. And I agree with you. I think I think Zuckerberg might start wandering into sort of sunk cost fallacy uh, territory here of, look, we spent this much, we need to get something from this, and I'm not sure it's there to be got. And I say that as someone who was quite happy with the Reality Labs losses of up till now. Anyway... Uh, that's our show. Thanks all very much for listening. It's been fun talking about, I guess, relatively unfun earnings, but they make a big difference to us and our portfolios because we own quite a few of these in one way or another, apart from Intel, which is obviously terrible. But join us next week. We'll probably be talking about some more earnings, some more interesting things that have been happening, and we'll hopefully have Paul back. See you then. <laughs>